A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. To call Brexit or the 2016 election, oh, it was just democracy at work. Bullshit. No, it wasn't. It was a lot of things at work. It was technology at work. It was social media at work. It was the strains on our on our media at work. Well, I think it falls right on the trajectory that you just laid out because all of those innovations, the cotton gin, electricity, et cetera, make us need each other less. This is Sarah. This is Beth. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics, the home of grace-filled political conversations. Happy Friday, everyone. I feel like we have some good news stories to celebrate today. And also some concern to send out to our friends and neighbors on the East Coast. So we'll get into all of that and the climate debate and a very interesting question from our listener Marjorie in just a moment. But first, we want to make sure that you're getting your Nuance Nation tour tickets for Detroit, Louisville, Dallas and Washington, D.C. And we have a little bonus gift in Kentucky to share. Well, and two bonus gifts, actually, because Louisville was sold out. And then we talked to the venue and we we moved some things around and we've added 50 tickets. So if you're going to Louisville and not being able to get a ticket, that has now changed. Apparently, all of you want to see Amy McGrath. So we've added some tickets. Go on over there. Get your ticket for Louisville. Our other bonus is for those of you, for some reason, if you cannot get to Louisville, 
We will be in Elizabethtown that afternoon. And there are links for tickets to that show in the show notes. This doesn't have to be an or situation either. Elizabethtown is a quick drive from Louisville. So if you mm-hmm. want like a double header of fancy politics <laughs> that day, which we highly recommend, it's going to be a really fun day. Come see us in Elizabethtown as well. So right now, we as we are recording on Thursday, Hurricane Dorian is moving her way up the East Coast and really pummeling parts of Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina. This This lady's taking her time, and that's why she's so dang dangerous. She paused over the Bahamas and just wreaked total havoc. And because she's moving so slow, I think the last reporting I heard was like eight miles per hour. You're seeing dangerous winds, huge storm surges. And so everybody in those states along the coast, hopefully you've been evacuated. If you're not, we hope that you're staying safe. It's horrible what happened in the Bahamas as you look at the pictures and see the devastation. The prime minister there says that it caused generational devastation, 20 known deaths at the time that we're recording. So our prayers and our thoughts are with everyone, and we hope that this ends soon and with as little damage in the aftermath as possible. And the hurricanes make a really interesting backdrop to a conversation happening within the Democratic Party currently. Wednesday night, there was a CNN town hall on the climate debate among the major Democratic presidential candidates. Beth, you spent some time with this climate town hall, yes? Yeah, I mean, it was seven hours, and I did not spend seven hours with it. That's too long. It is too long. And also, there was something really good about this format. I thought that this was a better opportunity to get to know these candidates than anything that's happened so far. So despite the fact that seven hours is too long, I do want to commend CNN for hosting this and for the way they hosted it. I really thought it gave people an opportunity to shine. I'm going to be honest with you. It's the best I've ever seen Bernie Sanders. Huh? He was not. um, No yelling? He was not yelling. Was there pointing? There was very little pointing. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's good. mostly. I thought he was just really clear-eyed about how he views this entire debate. He knew when he was saying things that were controversial. Most of all, he was extremely honest about what's going to be asked of people to combat climate change, and he just said, yeah. "This is going to require major shifts in the way that we live and work." And there are going to have to be transition periods, but we're going to have to do it. And we're going to have to ask that of each other. And for me, it was one of the first times that I heard Bernie Sanders saying to people, it is not only that corporations and millionaires and billionaires and the whole song and dance have corrupted our system. It is also that all of us play a role and all of us have some responsibility And I just really thought it was a great version of Bernie Sanders that I hadn't seen before. And I liked that this format elicited something a little bit different from him. The takeaway from him making that sort of do or die moment point about climate change is we will change. It can either be a reaction, which it really already is at this point, but I mean, it can either be reactionary to the devastation or... It can be with the knowledge that we can take a little bit of the control back and work to prevent further devastation. You know what I mean? Like, we're going to have to change things (laughs) because of climate collapse. 
it just depends on whether we do it sooner or later and have a little bit more control over the situation because we're acknowledging what's coming and preparing accordingly, or if we just wait till we have no other choice. So I think phrasing it the way he's phrasing it and and encouraging people to see it like this is our moment. We we have to act and it will and it will change our lives and how we live and it will require sacrifice is really important. I was listening to Start Here this morning and the meteorologist was talking about how, you know, she visits these towns when these, you know, hurricanes come through and she says, you know, I'm I don't see a lot of dramatic changes with the acknowledgement and knowledge that these will come again. I don't see zoning changes in these towns. I don't see the removal of impermeable surfaces and the acknowledgement that we need to add in more water management. She was like, it seems like so much of of what's happening with the hurricane. And I'm I'm brought I'm she and also I am painting with a very broad brush. And I know there are communities out there doing that work. But I mean, I think that's an excellent, an excellent example. The hurricanes are getting worse. And so we need to think about how can we prepare in real sustainable ways so that the devastation isn't as bad every time. I think that that is those are the conversations we need to have around climate change. Now, where is it safe to live? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, where I mean, at what yeah. point does the risk outweigh the the beauty of being on a coast? And yeah. I mean, it's just it's a really tough conversation. And I liked that he was starting to have it. I watched all of the segment with Elizabeth Warren, which so put into relief both what I admire tremendously about her and where I really depart from her because her segment was laser-like focused, as she always is, and, and effectively so, on corruption and how much of climate change our government has understood for such a long time, but no one mm-hmm. has had the political will to do anything about it, how Profit has taken the place of good judgment in terms of protecting people and and thinking about clean water and clean air and how much work there is to be done. The moment that has gotten a lot of play from her is where she talked about how, you know, fossil fuel companies want us fighting over plastic straws and eating red meat and all of the sort of controversial green initiatives because that takes the focus off of them and how they are the real source. You know, she said, like, three industries do the vast majority of polluting in our country. And I think she is right about that. And I thought it was very well said. And I feel like it sort of underscored how I always feel with her, like, the answer comes back to our world will be fixed if these multinational corporations are dealt with appropriately. And I think that dealing appropriately with some multinational corporations is important and is part of the answer. And I think she's absolutely right that we've got to keep our eye on the big polluters and deal with that because my prohibition on paper towels in my house isn't going to do it, right? I also think, though, that there is something really important about all of us thinking about what we can do in our lives and families to that national ethos where we have the political will to do some of the bigger, harder things. I think knowing that I am trying to do my best to reduce single-use plastic matters in who I vote for and how. 
And I always feel like there's a little bit of a get out of responsibility card in Elizabeth Warren's plans for us as individuals because she's so focused on the systemic. And it's not that she's wrong about the systemic. It's just that I think they have to go hand in hand. And so it for me was like the best of Elizabeth Warren and the worst of Elizabeth Warren altogether. For me, when she speaks to things like that, I think it is reflective of whether or not you see the government as separate from the individual or as a collection of individuals. And for me, when she says that part of the puzzle is us coming together and making prioritizations within our government, to me, that is a part of all of us making changes. And that is that isn't, a you know, a reflection of our individual lives and priorities. I think the more we can see government, and this is one of my favorite things that she speaks to and and sort of the undercurrent of so much of what she says is the government is us. And if this is important to us, then the, gov- then the government should reflect that. It should reflect the interest of the everyman, not just the people at the top. And I think her constant narrative is right now it's topsy-turvy and the government reflects the interest of the people at the top. And look, that's not just in the government. Judd Legume of Popular Information sent out an email about the proposed climate debate. We weren't just supposed to have a climate town hall. We were supposed to have a climate debate. And the Democratic Party voted it down. And he argues that, hey, this is because many of the voting members in the Democratic Party are representatives of the fossil fuel industry. The structuring of the current kind of cycle is less a reflection of the media and more a reflection of the the priorities within the Democratic Party, which seem to be, you know, supporting the status quo, supporting the front runners. And I think for me, the really interesting question about Elizabeth Warren is like, how was she able to break into that top three against Bernie Sanders, who's run for president before, and Joe Biden, a former vice president? And I think it is that narrative of The government can be a part of the solution. The government is us. It should reflect our priorities and what we think are major problems facing our children in the next generation and our current lives right now. And I wonder, like, no, I don't think it's just as simple as her narrative is the reason she's in this top three when other senators aren't. But I think that's a huge part of it. I think it's also that she got in early. She went big on staffing and on reach. Mm -hmm. She works her butt off. She holds these huge events and hangs for that selfie line at the end of every one of them. She does a lot of things that engender so much loyalty from her supporters. And it's really interesting that she's the only person who seems to be able to peel off any of the Bernie Sanders people. Pete Buttigieg spoke really well to this need for the government to be reflective of all of us and and for that balance of we need to attack this on the big level, the individual level, everything in between. He, he really spoke, I thought, in terms that resonated most with me about what this problem means to our generation. He compared it to World War II in some ways, and mm-hmm. I know that that's a reach for a lot of America. But I think there's something about him that can make you step back and think, okay, that feels like a reach, but there's something true in it. And I want to hear more from this guy about it. So I thought he was really effective. I fell asleep somewhere in his comments, which is not a reflection of him, but more of me and my life. I read the highlights of other people this morning. I like hearing Cory Booker talk about why he's vegan. I wish people would stop asking him about it because I feel like it's such a 
I feel like he's being asked to sort of bait folks who don't like vegans and are, you know, offended by the whole idea that someone wouldn't eat meat. But I do love hearing him talk about that. And I think he's really effective. You know, Kamala Harris talked about how she would encourage the Department of Justice to look into criminal charges for polluters and people who are actively undermining the environment. That makes me a little bit nervous. Again, I love Kamala Harris. And also, the tendency toward wielding that executive power forcefully is pushing me away. My big takeaway is let's do more of this. I would like to see more just like symposium type events where people do just come on and really dig into a particular issue. I thought this was so much more valuable than the debates have been. I loved that New York Times piece that was like, (laughs) say what you want about vegans, but stop making fun of them. Did you see that? No, that's a great headline, though. Right? <laughs> it's it so true. Like, you it. don't have to be vegan, but stop treating it like some fringe thing. They're on to something. They're right. You know, like, <laughs> you don't have to be a vegan to stop treating it like a joke. And I think that I'm, I'm hope he does a lot moving that sort of conversation forward. Well, before we move on from 2020, do you want to tackle Marjorie's question really quick? Sure. So Marjorie asked us if we are bothered by out-of-state money in races. She said, shouldn't only Kentuckians be able to donate to or against McConnell or Mainers to or against Collins? Isn't this outside forces meddling with our representatives? My answer is, no, it does not bother me. And this is something my husband and I actually debate quite a bit because he has a similar feeling about it. I think that if Mitch McConnell's reach were limited to Kentucky, that would be one thing. So I do think in terms of like our gubernatorial race and our state representatives, I I think it's fair game to say why is outside money pouring in here? But our federal representatives so dramatically affect the rest of the country. And that's particularly true with Mitch McConnell in terms of the gating function he wields as Senate Majority Leader. But it's also true in the House of Representatives, people serving on important committees, appropriations, intelligence, they affect all of us. And so I do think it's okay for all of us to recognize that and where we're passionate, be supportive of or act in opposition to campaigns where we feel like this is really not good for the country. I like the idea. I mean, it would have to be regulatory. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to try to make a pledge if the other side isn't going to do it. But I think you make a good point. Like, it makes more sense on a state level. Although, I mean, couldn't you make the same argument about California's gubernatorial? I mean, that affects everybody. The state of California is so big and so important to our economy. Any state policies really affect the rest of us. You know what I mean? I guess we'd have to be all in or all out. You know, like we're all going to have to make the decision. But I don't know. I just think that we everybody moves so much. Our boundaries are so fluid in today's day and age. I mean, where would you even cut off if I moved to Kentucky two days before the election? I haven't changed my license yet. Should I not be able to donate to the Senate campaign? You know, I think it's 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 a too hard a lift. It's way down on my list of campaign finance reforms. Let's put it that way. There's some good news happening in the world in terms of democracy overcoming or at least putting up a a hard slug against authoritarianism. So we're going to chat about that after a quick break. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. 
This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pantsuit. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsuit Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful, Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day, Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion, in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Boris had a bad week. Like a bit, like a like a bad, real bad week. I'm encouraged right now. Boris had a bad yeah. week in the UK, which we'll talk more about in a second. Bibi Netanyahu is struggling in Israel mm-hmm. as his election. Italy are got up. its act together too. Italy got its act together. Mm-hmm, Hong Kong's mm-hmm. leader has withdrawn the extradition law that has caused all the protests. Now I imagine that the protests aren't finished in Hong Kong because they want a lot more at this point. But still. Real progress, though, right? Mm-hmm. And in the UK, we have this example of a legislature saying, hey, our executive is incompetent and out of control, and we will mm-hmm. not stand mm-hmm. for it. And mm-hmm. I love it. It's literally the least the MPs can do. Let's be honest. 
Parliament has not been at its finest since the Brexit referendum, but they are doing it. And I'm encouraged by that. What's so fascinating about what is happening in Britain is that it is both showing the power of democracy and the limitations of democracy. Because I think the hard truth is that there might not be a democratic solution to a Brexit deal. There might not be a deal that can make even a slim majority of parliament happy. And yet an overwhelming majority of parliament want a deal. And hence we are in a very, and by we I mean the world, but really I just mean Britain, y'all. Y'all are in a really tough spot. And why I'm, I'm ecstatic, just ecstatic, that you put old Boris in his place. I don't know what's going to happen next. I do not think it is likely that Parliament stops the no-deal Brexit, which they have done. They have passed a—first, they took control away from Boris, and they passed a vote to vote. And that's when you saw 20-plus members of his own party rebel against him. So they took control away from him, which is which is tough when it's your first vote as prime minister for them to be like, nah, we don't want you to be in control. Then they passed out of the House of Commons the bill to require a deal to Brexit, which is expected to pass the House of Lords. Okay, so they get this deal, and then Jeremy Corbyn says, all right, once we know that you're not going to crash us out of here with no deal, we will agree to a snap election, which is what Boris wants to do. I think that his gamble, that he will hold snap elections and gain a powerful majority that really wants a Brexit no matter what, is so foolish Does he have short-term memory loss? Theresa May tried this and lost more of her members. So what does he think is going to happen? I'm so fascinated by this. I'm also fascinated by the other side that's like, well, we want an extension. Cool, but the EU has to agree to that. So I just, I'm really glad they took control and it was this sort of beautiful moment for democracy. And also, I'm not sure if there's a democratic solution to moving forward. It's interesting now that some people have agreed to an amendment putting Theresa May's deal that they voted down three times back on the table. Like maybe they're getting the message that the EU is not moving. The EU Mm -hmm. is where they are. And they they have said, like, this is the deal. We're not renegotiating. Did you read that Boris Johnson's brother resigned from Parliament? Fascinating. Well, he was a Remainer, too. Yes. How interesting their family dinners must be. I just think. Look, you don't have to be an expert in the EU or British politics. I'm just an old Kentucky girl, and I can see that there is absolutely no reason for the EU to be agreeable. If they are agreeable with you, what is to stop every other country from bailing? And then all of a sudden, there is no EU. Come on, y'all. Like, this is not rocket science. Now, you might need rocket science to find a solution to that hard border that nobody was thinking about during the vote. But you don't need rocket science to see there is no benefit for the European Union to come and renegotiate and give Britain everything it wants to exit its organization that is built on sort of consistent membership. Come on. The thing that I think is most interesting about Brexit is that the people who are advocating for 
Brexit to happen on the 31st, deal or no deal, say that they're on the side of democracy because there was a referendum and the people of the UK did vote for this. And I've been thinking a lot about that and about the parallel in the United States of the Trump election. And I think there are many of us who struggle with the balance between like Trump was elected. And so there is there is something democratic about him serving out his first term versus ultimately democracy is perhaps best served by his impeachment. And so where is that balance, especially as a country changes its mind, which happens all the time, but it seems next to impossible to like discern that will in between election periods. And it also seems kind of foolish to pretend that our elections are the best way to discern that will because of the way that they unfold, you know, because the kind of conversation we were just having about how do you navigate 20 Democrats running for president? Certainly, our 2020 election is going to be dramatically affected by the fact that 20 Democrats ran for this nomination, 20 plus. It will be different than if two had run and one of those two ended up running against Donald Trump. And so we have all these factors, but what will happen post-2020 is we'll decide if Trump is reelected that he has a mandate of some sort, when that might not be what people are expressing. If he is not reelected, we might start acting as though the Democrat has a mandate, which could not be the truth at all. It could just be that the country is tired of the chaos of a Trump presidency. You know, it's just it's interesting how you're right. Our democracy and and Britain's democracy and all of the things that that are supposed to facilitate the people possessing the power are so constrained by the processes through which they're supposed to express their preferences. Well, I think it goes back to something we talk about a lot, which is the role of representative versus trustee. I would encourage Britain to give a good old call to the state of California, who has learned the hard way several times that referendums are perhaps not the best way to govern. My favorite one is when Los Angeles voted to build the like cabillion dollar high school and they had no money. Well, yeah, because of course, if you put it in front of everybody, they're like, yeah, I do want a cabillion dollar high school for my kids. Without the complexities of how exactly are we going to pay for this? The idea that democracy and just putting things to an up or down vote is the best way to govern, legislate, create policy is is ludicrous. It is not always the best way to do something. It is most certainly, I think we're seeing in Britain, not the best way to handle something as complex as European Union membership or how to withdraw from European Union membership. The level of detail involved in the deals Theresa May struck up is shocking. It is shocking. And it is for somebody who, like, loves stuff like that, it's overwhelming. And the idea that, like, an up or down vote on all this is the way to, to create the best policy or to struggle through the complexities or to create the detail is just, come on, it's not going to work. It's just not going to work. Sometimes we need to say... The best way to do this is to put the experts at the table and to have a trustee relationship in which we we trust them to make those decisions that are not best put to a majority vote to the common man. Right. I mean, that's just that's sometimes that's going to be the best way to do something. And I'm not saying it's we've worked out totally and completely 
how to always handle that process. And the big problem with talking about any sort of trustee relationship with our government, either here in the United States, is that so much trust has been lost, right? So even using the word trustee is problematic, I think, because nobody trusts trust the people in power. But that doesn't change the fact that even if we don't trust the people in power, we need to deal with that and not think, well, we'll just handle everything with an up or down vote every time. Yeah, Brexit really would be like the United States having a national referendum on NAFTA membership. Well, I mean, it, you know, pass. there's just no way we can't we can't possibly comprehend all the details and all the effects and where we can understand pieces of it. You know, we're voting with such strong feelings about those pieces that it really detracts from the whole. What do you do once you've put something out there to the public in the form of electing Donald Trump? There's this really interesting op-ed in the New York Times this week about how people's capacity for chaos is a really good predictor of their level of support for this president. So I think that's the same thing with Brexit, right? We had both of these decisions where the country just said, you know what? I don't like the status quo. I'm going to take a gamble. What do you do once you've taken that gamble and you've realized this is not working out very well and both sides of how to handle that claim to be acting in the best interest of democracy. I think it's just a really interesting time historically. I'm anxious to be on the other side of it and knowing what the lessons learned from it are going to be because being here in the middle of it is very stressful. But I keep trying to put that in perspective like, wow, there's so much going on here that we are going to learn a lot from in future generations. The most interesting part of that editorial was there was a moment where they argue that technology has caused us to sort of revert (laughs) as human beings. And I thought, I think that is true of a lot of technological advances throughout our history. I think that is definitely one of the arguments Jill Lepore is making in these truths with a book I'm just never going to stop talking about. So if you have your pantsuit politics bingo card, you can fill that square in now that these technological advances come along, be it the cotton gin or the steam engine or electricity or the telegram. And it pushes us into a new phase of development and we sort of revert and we have to. It's just like kids, right, in that period of disequilibrium with when their physical capacity has sort of outpaced their psychological coping mechanisms. And I feel like technology does that to us. In social media and the Internet, you see that, right? It's pushed just into places we are just we just don't have the coping mechanisms for yet that we haven't developed the skills and strategies to use and to put to our advantage without creating major strain on our institutions. And I think democracy presents the best way that we have found to deal with that cyclical phase that we go through when something new comes along and we have to think, well, what does that mean now for voting? Or what does that mean now for the role of corporations in our society? What does that mean for oppressed groups? How does that change the way we see the world? If we shift from a rural economy to an urban industrial economy, what does that mean? If we switch from an industrial economy to a technological economy, what does that put under strain? What do we have to rethink? But it's like, first, we have to sort of pitch a temper tantrum or come along, adopt it wholeheartedly, let it 
you know, amplify all of our worst instincts. <laughs> and then we go, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I mean, we all need to get a little more Amish about it instead of just, a, just you know, gobbling every new thing up and just to the max capacity until we then are forced into a reactionary phase. Where we're like, oh, that was too much. Dial it back. What have we overtaxed by adopting this without reservation? But I think that's where we are. I think that to call Brexit or the 2016 election, oh, it was just democracy at work. Bullshit. No, it wasn't. It was a lot of things at work. It was technology at work. It was social media at work. It was the strains on our on our media at work. It was populism and racism and nationalism and all these these human instincts to change bubbling up to the surface at work. And to pretend otherwise is willfully ignorant, in my opinion. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, 
leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy Filtered Showerhead is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze. And its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy Filtered Showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Well, I think it falls right on the trajectory that you just laid out because all of those innovations, the cotton gin, electricity, et cetera, make us need each other less. That's the whole point of technology, right? It facilitates Mm -hmm. through individual Mm -hmm. action what used to require collective action. And so as we need each other less and less and less, no wonder we find ourselves in 2019 with the UK being like, you know what? We can go this alone. We need Mm -hmm. the EUS. We have have not had the kind of threat that created the need for NATO. That's why we've been so dismissive of it in the United States, some of us, right? Until we start to have some common views of what we need each other for, things like climate change come to mind, right? But we are in such a state of discord about what those threats even mean. But until we start to have some common views of what they are, I think we'll continue to see these movements. I mean, to me, especially when you cast it as you just did so well in terms of technological innovation, it makes sense that everyone has lost a sense of where we need each other. And Mm -hmm. that does give rise to authoritarianism because it has so many people saying, I can do everything alone and all that is needed around me is someone who sees that. I'm having this conversation with my friend who I discuss gun policy with. I've talked about him on the show before. I really like and respect this person. He very much believes that we will all be safer when more of us have guns and are trained to use them. And I just kind of lost it earlier today when I was corresponding with him because I said, look, I trust you and your intention around this. I don't know how to scale that up to good policy because I think there's this individualistic assumption underlying it. Like, if I do my part, everything falls into place. And I am an individualist. Like, I believe that. I care so much about individual liberty and freedom and respect for rights. And you do you and people get to choose how they want their lives to run. Where's the balance on that, though? Like, I don't know how to I don't know how to look at our gun problems and say, yes, everybody individually making this decision leads us to ultimately a safer place. And when I look at the decision made in Brexit, I understand completely how they got there. And I also think, oh, what is it? What kind of scary thing is going to happen that makes all of us realize we need each other again? And that's the balance that I feel like I'm navigating on an individual level all the time. And I think it's kind of what we're looking at globally right now, too. Yeah, I mean, with love to Britain and Europe, Y'all don't have to go that far back to see just on the most pragmatic level of geography and resources, you need each other. There's a lot better case for the United States going alone, and it's still a bad case. You don't even have to go back in time, right? You can look at Crimea today. Yeah. To think that you can look at the geographical reality of Europe and be like, we'll all just go at our own as if we haven't seen that play out a million times. 
I don't know, Boris and your buddies. Well, as we're all contemplating Brexit, technological revolutions, and the, the fundamental connection of all human beings, real light stuff today. Listen, we're leaving you with some very low-hanging fruit to contemplate as human beings. Um, On Friday. Enjoy your weekend, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, we do hope you have a good weekend. We will be back in your ears on Tuesday. You should definitely head over to the link in the show notes and get your tickets to Nuance Nation. And until Tuesday, keep it nuanced, y'all. Dylan Garvin produces Pantsuit Politics every week. Thanks for making us sound better, Dylan. Elise Knapp is our managing director, which means we could not make it without her scheduling, organization, feedback, and creativity. Thank you, Elise. We couldn't make Pantsuit Politics without support from our listeners. Go to patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics to learn how you can receive more nuance and help us make the show. Special thanks to our executive producers who have committed to supporting us in a major life-giving way. Our executive producers are Tracy Putoff, Tim Miller, David McWilliams, Joshua Allen, Linda Rucker, Martha Bernatsky, Melanie Cravey, and Tiffany Hassler. Our theme music is composed and performed by Dante Lima. The music under our ads is composed and performed by Dylan Garvin. Learn more about our lives, live events that we're involved in, and what we're reading each week by signing up for our weekly newsletter at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. And connect with members of the Pantsuit Politics community by following us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.